I'm Steve, and joining me this week, we've got Jack Eason. Jack, what's your social security number? I'm a phone for that again, Steve. <laughs> I figure, you know, if, if we're ever going to make money from this podcast, I'm, I'm probably going to have to start, you know, stealing identities and information and, and you things could of that sell sort. Your, you could sell your body, Steve. Yeah. You could, you know, if you really were into this, if you really wanted to make a go of it. Plenty of people have done it in the past. I don't think you're too good for us. Oh, I don't. I don't think a... so either. I used to. I mean, I used to sell plasma when I was in college. Uh, that's kind of like selling your body, at least part of it. And that and that was bullshit, by the way, because uh, I would get forty dollars, and Adam Myros, frequent optimism vaccine contributor, would get sixty dollars because he weighed more than me. Oh, and he had the good plasma. Yeah, he he's he had that fat guy plasma. And so they're like, oh, here's 60 bucks instead of 40. And I just, I always thought that was horse shit, you know? And the best part though was they would play like movies while you were giving the plasma and they only really had one movie because every time we were in there, it was uh, Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. So <laughs> they just didn't want anyone dawdling in the plasma donation facility. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... When I think about it, it's always like, what movie have you seen more than any other movie? The answer is Garfield, Tale of Two Kitties, which I watched every week for like a year and a half, basically. So, uh, yeah, that's that's fucking great. Uh, also joining us this week, uh, you may know him as the man loudly talking in the movie theater. Sean Glennis is with <laughs> us. Hi. Sorry, I was trying to be quiet uh, during the, the intro. I didn't want to interrupt Jack. I've just been learning a lot of lessons lately. God, it's, is Sean going to be talking through this whole podcast? Oh my God. I, yeah, what a fuck. Oh. That's all he does. So, Sean, I mean, like, what? Uh, this is obviously, you mentioned this uh, on you know Twitter. You said that you got loudly shushed for, for talking during a preview, uh, which I can only assume was... It was it was the part of the of the Marry Me trailer where J Lo says "Marry Me" to Owen Wilson, but you was just it was just some fucking documentary trailer or something. Like what what was what what the fuck happened? Why are people mad at you? I don't understand. You can't talk during trailers. That's insane to me. Yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, so it's funny. Like the the there were a lot of assumptions um, that I saw. I mean, like when something gets that popular, like they're just like, you see a lot of dumb shit and then you just have to like mute it. But like, uh, I wasn't talking about the trailer at all. Uh, but it was funny cause a lot of people's reactions were like, you should be able to talk. Like that's what trailers are for, which I agree with, like is talking about the trailer. But, uh, it was like in, in, at cinema Detroit, which is like a garage turned into a cinema. Um, and just just like a bunch of seats on a cold floor and there was like maybe six of us total spaced out in this theater and oh god and maybe like eight if i'm being generous um to see uh uh france and um there was like this doc playing called or a trailer playing called who we are it's like about racism in america it's like 
it looks it, it's like the Michael Moore tactic of like film documentary filmmaker walking through the streets um, to talk to people and make his point mixed with like him standing on a stage doing a presentation. So it's like Michael Moore meets Al Gore, Michael Gore, oh God. Um, <laughs> Mike Al Gore. Um, and it, it just looks like so stupid, but I mean, I, I, it would have been warranted for me to say like, this looks stupid, but I was just ta- I was mm-hmm. just like talking to my friend because we were catching up before the movie because we just hadn't seen each other in a little while. And, we, you know, we got masks on. So it's like we're even like muttering through masks. Like even that is like yeah. doling the sound. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then this, this lady goes, uh <laughs> She like nudged me, like I said, and it's like, yeah, you're going to be talking to the whole movie. And I just like, just, there was a nudge. Yeah. And oh. I was like, I just turned around. And I said, no, and turned back around and just like stewed for the first five minutes of the movie, like any beta would, uh, thinking about what I should have said, but, um, oh my God. But yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, really stupid. It's, it's insane. It was. And I mean, you can, you can talk about the trailers, but like, I mean, it, it's open sea. It's adverts. Like shit, they put in adverts for like fucking just consumer products right. in between them. You can like, talk Toyota over this crap. Cool. No one cares. Yeah, um, it was really weird, but I was glad that I I saw all of those uh, tweets about like people weighing in, just kind of like validating. Besides the psychos that made up like one percent, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, there are people that are like, I'm sorry, but this is emotional violence. You are a sociopath for talking during a trailer. But Jesus. Christ. Yeah, yeah. There's always that person who's like, whatever you say on Twitter, they're like, I bet you also torture animals or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, it's just straight, yeah, yeah. Nuance, not their strong point. But it, well, it was, Sean, did you like stop and consider that maybe the woman didn't know about racism before that trailer started, and she was just like, you know, trying to figure some stuff out? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, she's like, whoa, no. Um, but I... It's going to be a real head-turning documentary for her. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but it was validating to see just people being like, what? That, that, that's insane. Um, it, was, yeah. it was very, very weird. Because like I said, that's never happened to me before. Because I don't talk during movies. No, same. I, I've, I've, I've never personally been shushed. And I talk very loudly during trailers. Um I also we have uh, we have Marcus Theaters here in Wisconsin, and the guy who owns the Marcus Theater Mega Corporation, Greg Marcus, he does this like weird like ego thing where he like records these like thirty second comedy sketch introductions, like oh boy, don't you love going to the movies? Woo, 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 woo. I'm sure they're on YouTube or something. If you ever if you want to look these up, they're fucking abysmal. So I will like mock those no one has ever said anything the only time i've ever had anybody say anything to me in a movie theater well it wasn't directly to me again adam myros uh we went to see the uh you know critically acclaimed masterwork of cinema known as 2012 i don't know if you guys remember that one and adam myros thought that this would be a good movie to drink through so he brought an entire bottle of 10 high whiskey, which he proceeded to drink in about 10 minutes. And 
anytime Danny Glover came on screen, Myers would just be like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Which is like kind of a hack joke to begin with, but then he did it so many times that like people were just like, <laughs> it's it's like he he pummeled them over the head with the stupidity of it to the point where people were actually laughing. And then, but then at some point, he kicked over the empty whiskey bottle and it just, it was, you know, it's one of those cities where it's kind of like, it's got the stadium seating and then the long sloping floor. And it just went like, dink. And then it, it just rolled and you could hear it rolling <laughs> all the way down to the bottom. And some guy just turned around and threw his hands in the air and just said, I'm going to fucking kill you. Uh, which valid, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like, that's the time I, I'm not, you know, you shouldn't, I don't, you don't, most of the time you probably don't even need to shush people if, if it, you know, unless they really warrant it. But at that point, if that man would have killed us, my last thought would have been like, okay, we earned that. But you know, anyways, uh, yeah. If you think people shouldn't talk during trailers, fuck you. Uh, that's about it. So <laughs> that being said, <laughs> Hey, let's talk about Jerry Lewis. Speaking of, uh, uh, you know, lovable guys that just can't figure shit out and keep falling down, a.k.a. Sean Glennis trying to get his microphone to work this week. Um, it, I've been looking forward to this episode because, you know, America was was blessed in the mid-century with two Jerry Lewises. And uh, one was a comedic genius and uh, the other one married his 13-year-old cousin. So we're going to be covering the the comedic genius one, thankfully. Um, Sean, you, you kind of, you, you curated this one because Jack, I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat as me where I am familiar with Jerry Lewis, but exclusively through the nutty professor. And then all of the cartoons that have sort of referenced him and his comedy over the past, I don't know, 40, 50 years. So yeah. Sean, what what made you what what made you choose who's minding the store? Because this one's kind of an outlier compared to the others, I think. Well, I think just generally, I wanted to do Jerry Lewis because um, I had started catching up with Jerry Lewis like during lockdown, so like 2020, and I it came up at some point for some reason, like around around the the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, that like he was just a subject in the chat. And I realized that, uh, nobody had really seen Jerry Lewis movies. And, uh, in our group, um, outside of me and I was just like, Oh, well, it's just like a great subject because it's, it's comedy. And he's like a big cultural, um, uh, part of uh, American, uh, film comedy. And, uh, I chose who's minding the store, uh, to pair with uh, a couple Jerry Lewis directed movies, because even though it comes after ladies, man, um, uh, it is directed by Frank Tashlin, who uh, worked a lot with Jerry Lewis um, leading up to and, and after ladies, man. Um, and Tashlin is obviously like his own, like he, he also has like quite a body of, of uh, comedy that is, is a big part of American um, uh, comedy tradition, whatever, like through com or through cartoons as well as like his film work. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought it, 
I think that Jerry Lewis, I haven't read anything about this. I listened to like a long, uh, like, uh, interview audiobook thing that he did to see if, if he's going to mention it. And I, he might elsewhere. I'm not like a Jerry Lewis scholar by any means, but I have to think that he gained something through working with, with Tashlin. And I think you can see it in both of these movies that we watch that are directed by Jerry Lewis. Um, just by watching, uh, it, them in tandem with, uh, Who's Money in the Store. I don't think it's the the best uh, Lewis Tashlin film. I think those are like the, the Dean Martin uh, movies. Uh, there's another road trip one that they that they did together, too. That's the title is slipping my mind. Um, but those two are like the, uh, I think, best like Tashlin movies, as well as the best Tashlin uh, Lewis collaborations. But I thought it would be a good idea to do a Tashlin Lewis movie without Dean Martin because Martin and Lewis comedies are also their own thing. Um, so mm-hmm. I didn't want that, that to sort of like muddy the focus. Um, so uh, yeah, you get to see a lot of um, Tashlin's physical set piece type of comedy um, that we can talk about uh, in terms of how Lewis took from that. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. Cause you know, Tashlin, he does have this background in um, <laughs> directing cartoons and, and you know, working in that medium. And if you were to boil down, like, what the essence of a, of a Jerry Lewis comedy film is, it's basically a live-action cartoon, uh, w- which also makes it kind of crazy that I, I didn't see these earlier because I feel like if I would have watched these as a kid, I would have absolutely loved them. But at the same time... Uh, it, it's it's like these two opposing forces kind of pulling at each other because the comedy is is very silly and cartoonish, um, but the characters that Jerry Lewis plays and and the kind of the relationships that he finds himself in, I, I think it's like the complete antithesis of what a kid would be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> I, and and that's part of the reason why I I really love and respect Jerry Lewis as an artist too because. Uh, he's, he just comes off as this, you know, he's goofy, but also you can tell he's kind of an egomaniacal dickhead and these characters that he plays, they're, they're so, you know, silly and, and dumb or, you know, uh, oh, misfit characters that just, you know, trying to do good, but gosh, darn, I keep fucking things up. But at the same time, there's, there's always this undercurrent of actually you're kind of an asshole. And you definitely get some of that in, in who's minding the store, especially with uh, the relationship that he attempts to cultivate with this woman. Um, but also I, I, I love the, just the silly set pieces because aside from that character, the other thing that's consistent throughout all these movies is, um, you know, it's not so much about the story and Anytime the story can take a back seat to whatever the fuck it is Jerry Lewis is doing on screen, I think that's when he really shines. And in a movie like this, out of the three that we watched, I feel like this one has the most story and sentimentality and sappiness. And it's like, oh, we have to have this this love interest over here. And those are the parts that kind of drag it down for me. Because for me, it's like the height of comedy is Jerry Lewis... (laughs) in 
a Macy's basically uh, trying to fix a vacuum cleaner, sucking up everything in the room, including a dog. And then the vacuum sticks to the ceiling. And an old lady who brought the dog says, you sucked my Fifi. And then I <laughs> laugh uncontrollably for 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe you guys talk a little bit about this, just like the, that weird tension it almost feels like between what Jerry Lewis wants to do and then this clear, like, we have to have some elements of, you know, traditional cinema and a love interest yeah. and, and all these things that are dragging it down. But, like, Tashlin is definitely more interested in, like, visual artistry than Jerry Lewis is. Like, he, you know, like, he's a cartoonist. Uh, but he's interested in sort of, like, a more, like, cinematic, uh, like, composition. And if that means anything at all. But... um he, he's interested in creating really like rich uh, visuals. And also he's interested in like media satire and consumer culture set, like, and uh, sexual politics. And, and I don't know that like, I've seen like four or five Jerry Lewis directed movies. And I don't know if that's really where his heart is as much as he's just interested in comedy. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know, but w what do you think, Jack? Yeah, this is, um, kind of like a whole new territory for me tashlin i'm like i've seen a tashlin film before who uh will success spoil rock hunter which i really enjoyed and i've always meant to watch more of his stuff lewis is like steve mentioned he was kind of semi-aware of jerry lewis i've this is my first introduction to the guy i've really no familiarity with him at all except for at a certain point i learned that that one kind of recurring voice in like looney tunes cartoons and doctor whatever professor frank on the simpsons is like that's jerry lewis i was like okay fair enough he you know just had no kind of presence at all in my my childhood i mean the nutty professor for me was an eddie murphy film <laughs> so it's it's uh which i saw in cinema actually gosh remember the days where you could roll into cinema and watch the nutty professor on 35 millimeter and oh, it was man. just regular and hey you know, sorry good, jerry but i don't think his version had any clumps in it so it's clearly no. inferior good good stuff but um yeah this was this was really interesting because because jerry lewis is such a peculiar character and i think who's mind at the store does capture a lot of the strange kind of paradoxes of it um and I, part of that i think is certainly is tashlin's cartoon background there there's this the film kind of vacillates between subversion and hyper conservatism in kind of a freewheeling fashion. I guess it just says that you can't really take it too seriously, but I mean, there's kind of a, a point of someone says, you know, you can either be rich or honest. Uh, all the management are basically like philandering skeeves. You know, there's, there's, um, a general presence that like all of all of business culture is absurd and everyone in it is, is awful. And then Jerry Lewis is in the middle of it as like the one honest man. But as Steve points out, he's also kind of pointlessly like his honesty doesn't benefit anyone. And see, you know, to the point where he'll just randomly hurt the woman he supposedly loves for something she has no control over. Um, and meanwhile, she, of course, is is escaping, trying to escape her enormous wealth into domesticity, which is an insane kind of a product of, you know, honestly, the alt-right commentators would have a field day with that. Um, oh, yeah. So there, there's gotta, all kinds of like... find yourself a trad wife, man. That's what it's yeah. all about. She's got to give I mean, up this, the billions this... to pop out six kids. This is the movie for it, honestly. And it's <laughs> like Jill St. John, like Nick, 
like coming Bond girl. Uh, yeah, she really wants to get away from all of the power that money gives her and just pop out kids for Jerry Lewis in the suburbs. Uh, very peculiar, very funny. I really like this this one personally because um, I think Tashlin's visual uh, schema is fantastic. If nothing else, honestly, it's kind of wonderful to just see all these old school consumer spreads. I mean, they're they're <laughs> sets of these these. I don't know if if supermarkets were ever actually like this or department stores were ever actually like this where they just had like five fucking Honda motorcycles parked in the middle of the store in a little display on a mountain and you know the you know whatever else they'd have like little like a little stuffed lion's head up over the hunting department like I don't know if it was ever like that but it seems like it's possible and it certainly looks fantastic on film um yeah, it's it, there's there's this great kind of like just energy throughout the whole thing, which is then counterpointed as well by Lewis himself, who really is a very interesting figure to me. <clears throat> I guess it, maybe it's more in like the ladies' man than here, but it's still present in that Jerry Lewis is a peculiar comic protagonist in that he is constantly like he's clumsy and absurd and kind of like he's he's not like sexual in any way he's yeah. not macho at all that's you know very much runs against the contrary of any kind of comic character you know the same way like harold lloyd or buster keaton were never you know they were never like sexy um and yet but jerry lewis is like he's he's like a broad-shouldered six foot tall dude who's pretty well dressed to be honest <laughs> um it, you know it's this kind of a strange counterpointing even in that like lewis looks much more to to my eye, like much more st obviously strapping than say Buster Keaton, even though like Buster Keaton was obviously like a wiry psycho, uh, but you know he was he was a pretty little dude, and he kind of wore baggy clothes and sort of was oh continually disheveled. Lewis kind of turns out much better on film, so it's kind of strange um, to counterpoint his physical comedy with his kind of more traditional kind of like. I mean, I mean, I guess he was paired a lot with Dean Martin, and Dean Martin was like the big, like the joke was like he was the big one, and Jerry Lewis was the little one, and I think Lewis might actually have been taller than him. You know, it was like the he's not a small guy, but Dean Lewis, I guess, was the more conventionally attractive one of them. So Jerry Lewis kind of became like the goofy, not attractive one. But I mean, he's he's uh, you know, he doesn't look in any way like a, a, an object of fun otherwise. So yeah, there's just a whole lot of things going on here that were very unusual to me, having never seen a Jerry Lewis movie before. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll, we'll we'll rotate back to them throughout the other ones. But I did, I very much enjoyed this movie. But like you say, live action cartoon, um, it, the the plot barely matters, and then the the mechanics <laughs> of it in terms of commentary or satire or subversion, like reset every scene to like you you I couldn't find a through line here to anything because i think it's like tash and if nothing else is also battling against the the myth of jerry lewis like jerry lewis's character as a hero as a protagonist there's certain things he can and can't do he's got to get the girl he's got to make things right it's got to work out uh they randomly save two marriages at the end even though uh jill st john's parents marriage and this is like the most irredeemably thorny <laughs> vicious thing ever committed yeah. to film like they absolutely hate each other and suddenly by the end they're reunite reunited by their their daughter's love of a nebbish little weirdo who wants her to you know quit her job or quit being rich um you know 
it's it's strange it's like almost a biblical thing of like you know the wealthy you know it's okay to be wealthy as long as you don't want to be wealthy you know sort of like just don't show it off or whatever that kind of meaningless sort of uh, kind of like moral framework also i so, want to be yeah. kind of poor too because you know like sure. her mom is like mocking her and she's like i can't believe you don't want to live at the house you just have that walk up brownstone i'm like is this is this fucking new york <laughs> like a fucking walk up brownstone jesus yeah she she's running an elevator in a department store and running it they say it run down brownstone but it looks it looks pretty nice to me yeah honestly. yeah you guys you guys uh like down the line should definitely watch um artists and models in Hollywood are bust because like it is a lot of this stuff that you guys like, but like even richer and, and, and better, uh, uh, like gags and stuff. But, um, I'm, I'm curious, like, also, I think you can see in Tashin's work, uh, a bit of like this, like, like influence on Godard as well as Lewis himself. Like just as you guys are talking about all this stuff, I'm thinking about that type of, uh, playful colorfulness that that godard obviously took to um a different uh extreme in his own work but um mm -hmm. that, that i mean it makes sense that the french are kind of obsessed with jerry lewis because i mean god like uh, jacques tati a lot of what he was doing is is just kind of like an extension of of you know some of jerry lewis's work and like you mentioned too sean just like the vibrant color palettes here um and I mean that going back to Godard, Tati again, and I remember there's there's a really good quote from Godard on Jerry Lewis where he says something like, "Yeah, I think Jerry Lewis is really funny, but he's funniest when he's not being funny," mm -hmm. which is basically like you know, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more when I think when we get into um, the last film that Jerry Lewis directed, <laughs> but some of his best gags are where he's just he's really just beating something into the ground beyond absurd absurdity. And it just kind of like turns this corner from, you know, okay, this is amusing to maybe this isn't funny to, he just kind of bends and bends and bends until it completely shatters into something funny again. And, uh, not a lot of people can pull that off. Most of the time it's just fucking annoying, but, uh, Jerry Lewis, you can do it. Yeah. And so, and a, and a lot of times also it's like, he, he's always, I mean, I guess we can transition into those Lewis movies, but he's like, he is always the star of his movies. Like, I mean, he's the star of every gag, except for, I, I think there's like one gag in Cracking Up where I was like, oh, wow, this other guy is who I'm laughing at more than Jerry Lewis. Even when like the other person has like the line, the joke is Jerry Lewis, his face just while the other person is like going through this gag is him just like looking at the camera or looking off into the distance. Like that is the joke. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny too, cause I, I was thinking about these movies after watching them and it, this really starts to come out once we do get into the Lewis directed films, like, uh, you know, the ladies man, which probably his, his most acclaimed, maybe most beloved mm -hmm. film. Well, that and, or Nutty Professor. Yeah, that or Nutty Professor. Sure, sure. But the the one thing that really sticks out to me with with Lewis's films, especially the ones that that he directs here, is he is like very very conscious of making sure that the audience knows that this is artificial, that this is a movie. Like he he doesn't try to hide that at all. Oh yeah. And I think later in his career, part of the reason why maybe he fell out of favor. <laughs> 
and uh, you know didn't exactly have a uh, productive decade in the 80s and then you know kind of turned into the telethon guy after that uh i i think people just weren't willing to accept that part of him because it's almost jarring now because you still you don't really see a lot of that in american comedy where it, it's just so like boldly cinematic in the way that it's presenting itself and ladies man is the perfect example of that because you are hyper conscious of the fact that you are on a just beautifully ornate built film set <laughs> uh, because the entire film takes place inside of this giant, ridiculous kind of pastel mansion. And it's, it's huge. And the entire thing is, is sort of split down the middle, like an open dollhouse. So you're, you're sort of looking in on, on what's going on there. And then the camera can just kind of like, you know, crane around this entire home uh which i i can't think of any other movie up to that point that had done something similar and especially in in american comedy i i can't think of anything that's done since. No, yeah it's not, such a not unique for look. comedy i mean it reminds me of things like say for example uh Burzaghi, seventh heaven has like that iconic shot going up the seven flights of stairs mm -hmm. and it's clear they did it like in just one tall elevator and the, the cameras are it's been years since i've seen it but like the camera i believe you know kind of tracks what up. about like lang i mean lang's dad's had some like i mean i guess in the more on the german side than on the american right, side right. there's huge sets i i give now had you know very uh you know there was that certain tinge yeah the expressionist movement like with sunrise had those incredible outdoor sequences that were very very obviously indoors you could see some of that even in influence like john ford's work but like i say all of this was really going towards drama it was very kind mm -hmm. of like a high art theatrical kind of like um you know what we say self-consciously kind of highbrow sensibility which is something that i think americans generally don't you know there was that brief period i think where films were looking for legitimacy and they were looking you know to to kind of make their mark and and say you know we're not just theater um where those kind of those elements were brought to the foreground and i think really kind of stamped it in and then by like the end of the 1930s they were like let's have fun again and they just kind of like kept rolling and then really yeah i mean it was musicals really were the the only other place like the musical was the big theatrical mm -hmm. kind of like self-consciously artificial production everything else uh yeah it, it's not that common and i mean it's really seeing this it was um it's funny because i mean we mentioned tati and tati obviously is kind of a generation before lewis i mean i think i'm pretty sure tati was probably doing mine before lewis was born mm -hmm. but you know to compare the two of them, there's just a tremendous overlap in their physical comedy, but um, how they understand how a camera can be integrated into it, how the, you know, what they're doing is very traditionally, I mean, Jerry Lewis's physical comedy is very traditionally kind of a vaudevillian thing. I mean, even his, even his wordplay and everything is strange accents and funny, you know, sentences. Um, you know, it's very like everything about it seems kind of born of the stage to some degree. Um, but he transforms it, particularly in the ladies, man. It's it's very much consciously cultivated into this huge, intrinsically cinematic format. The the set, the way the camera moves through things, uh, really, you know, the, you, it's not something that exists in any other format. It's not something you can even script particularly. You know, you you can, you know, the the visualization of it is something really quite special. Um. 
and you know Tati uh, like I can only imagine Tati must have seen there's this one sequence in in the ladies man where the camera just Jerry Lewis leaves his bedroom and he just starts walking around the house and the camera just keeps pulling back and back and revealing more and more of this single set they actually I mean they build this on an entire soundstage and a soundstage could normally would hold multiple sets and the entire soundstage was just taken up with basically this huge interior, this lavish multi-story interior mm-hmm. that they could just move fluidly through um, as they as they needed to. Um, just such an incredibly kind of like avant-garde kind of a setting to, you know, to, Lewis had the pull to do that. Um, it reminded me a little bit actually, I guess, of like say Buster Keaton's The High Sign has uh, in its conclusions, that's one of its like early two-reelers. It's a amazing fantastic thing but there's this amazing chase sequence in the finale of the high sign where he's being chased by these various members of like a criminal gang and it's like the camera pulls out to like a four frame i think of like four different rooms in the house and it's clearly a single set and it's people like jumping around and falling through and passing through the walls and climbing back up again transferring between the four rooms but the camera captures all of it um, that's yeah. That might be the uh, the American analog to it. I think stuff like the opening of the Ladies' Man, which opens with the camera on a sign about the very anxious village or whatever, very <laughs> anxious town, and then tracks down the street these shops, and one person just stumbles, and a whole series of disasters physically unfold in one single movement. This very much reminded me of something like Tati's Jour de Fée. Uh, I have no idea if Lewis knew Tati's work. It's certainly, I would imagine, likely if he's hanging around and, you know, doing yeah. physical comedy in the, in New York. I'm pretty sure Jure de Fay and Mon Uncle and uh, uh, Monsieur M. Hulot's uh, Vacation were, I particularly were huge hits in America, I believe, uh, significantly larger than your typical French movie. So I imagine he probably saw those. And then I imagine Tati must have seen the ladies' man in that camera, <laughs> that set, and just like playtime. He's just like, how do I, you know, where do you go from there? And mm-hmm. he went to playtime, which is maybe the only film <laughs> that's even bigger than this, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, remarkable stuff. And, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a really really impressive thing and it's almost like the comedy that unfolds in the, in the ladies man is there's some wonderful gags oh and some crazy God. stuff but it's just the sheer pleasure of seeing this kind of spectacle unfold it's it's such an unusual thing it's um yeah and we need also, more of this we need to bring this back also like in that beginning like you get a sense like the way that he's framing um all of his interactions before we get to like this how beautiful that all of this set is um like when he's talking to his parents or that girl like the his his framing sensibility is like clearly not traditional um like he's he's cutting off people's faces through dialogue um it's a it's a good introduction that like what you're seeing is not just like uh a studio comedy that you know people are probably used to yeah he's very much in the that frame of and and it i I wish I should like I should do more research before showing up on podcasts <laughs> who, who shouldn't but you know I am curious about Lewis and Mel Brooks uh, there because I know they worked here I believe Mel Brooks actually wrote an original treatment for the ladies man although very little of it made it to the the actual film but you know so little that Brooks doesn't even get a like you know he's not credited or didn't want to be credited but you know he the, I believe he and, and Lewis worked together and they do they're both seem like kind of pioneers of that kind of 
inherently cinematic, goofy comedy. Uh, you know, like like Blazing Saddle. Blazing Saddle is another movie that just broke through in the in the finale into the soundstage. You know, and they started moving into different movies. That kind of like you know, kind of awareness artificial element that they could play with, that you could create entire gags out of special effects in, you know, in a way that you couldn't do in theatre or in writing down, you know, you get in a book. Like, there's there's puns and wordplay and stuff, and that's, you know, one cornerstone. There's people falling over. But, you know, frankly, when you get an editing suite behind you, you can do a whole new realm of comedy opens up to you. And, you know, as we move through, like, Lewis's work in the 80s, it reminds me a lot of Mel Brooks's work in the 80s as well, which kind of then transitioned over to the, you know, the Zucker-Abrams kind of naked gun style of thing, which I think really was, like, the new generation of that kind of comedy, which has then kind of morphed into the worst thing in the world for a while, and I don't know if it's come back since once we got to the epic movies where a bunch of, like, the worst, least funny people in the world realize they could churn out movies that are just like, isn't it dumb that this is a movie? And, you know, <laughs> 400 of those kind of missing the point of uh, everything that, you know, Brooks and Lewis and the Zucker brothers did. Um, I think that, I think there's like a light path and a dark path there with, with the Jerry Lewis <laughs> comedy lineage, because obviously like dark path is like, you know, the, the epic movies of the world. Uh, and I think I think the light path, honestly, is I mean, what do we have now that is even close to what Jerry Lewis is doing? And the only thing I can think of is is like maybe jackass, really. <laughs> you know, it's like, where do I where do I go right now if I, if I want to see someone fall down? Tim and Eric or something <laughs> in certain like ex like certain regards, but not 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 really. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that practical yeah. stuff like, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I wanted to talk about with. Uh, ladies man so this was his second movie and uh uh i've only seen like the first four and then smorgasbord is last so there's like a lot in between that i haven't seen but like it's funny watching these first ones like how much of a part of his comedy is like him being sort of this sweet guy like we kind of talked about in who's mine in the store um and then like <laughs> Uh, even though like, you know, the, he's, he's also doing, uh, things like, uh, being a, maybe like offensive on accident. And then you see that just sort of like chipped away towards the end, uh, of his career, <laughs> like quite, yeah. quite majorly. Um, he's, yeah, he's a strange, um, like it's a strange character he has both in in who's minding the store and the ladies man in that like there seems the disarming of the character or the, the i guess the neutralizing of the character is that he's sort of he's sort of sexless he's very he's romantic but not in any way physical mm -hmm. he's like an asexual yeah guy. I mean, he's in a house of ladies and he has no interest in in them exactly and yeah, it's like, and in Who's Minded, I mean, like, literally the scene in Who's Minded the Store where, where, like, Jill St. John, you know, who would have been, like, a, you know, most beautiful woman in the world at one point, you know, would go on, like I say, I mean, she became the first American Bond girl uh, in Diamonds Are Forever, uh, you know, kind of going like, let's go to bed, come on, like, get fresh with me, and he's like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly, and, like, sneaks out, <laughs> it's, you know, this yeah, absurd, yeah. like, absurd purity i guess within the context and the ladies man he's like he just swears off women and he doesn't want anything to do with women and Could of course you imagine i think jerry lewis knows that we couldn't imagine the jerry lewis persona actually having sex with somebody especially like uh right. especially successfully <laughs> right it would, it would involve like a bunch of gags and stuff um 
But yeah, another thing that just popped in my head, like Steve, as you were talking about, like what we have today, and this isn't necessarily today, but somebody that, that, that I grew up with, Steve, you probably too. I don't know about you, Jack, being over in wherever it was that you grew up. Um, but uh, uh, Martin Short is like an obvious uh, part of this uh, uh, mm-hmm. linear path of comedy. But um uh, especially something like pure luck, which is like so much like uh, smorgasbord or cracking up, um, but like just pratfalls and being like sort of this guy who's it's never really his fault on purpose, but it's often his fault on accident kind of thing. And also has like that sexless, uh, although he's like much shorter and slighter in build. <laughs> yeah, he, he fits the, the mold. Yeah, Martin Short fits more the mold of like the comedian. Like Jerry Lewis just looks like a regular guy. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't look like he needs to be funny to get on in the world. You know, <laughs> this is the, the standard get out clause. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Because um, this is it's always felt to me like this kind of style of comedy to me was always very traditionally British to, you know, kind of like the, like Monty Python's movies were like the movies that like broke the mode of like, you know, of course you're watching a film. We can do whatever we want, you know, and like Holy Grail or whatever life of like life of Brian where they interrupt this, you know, like biblical set epic to have an alien space chase, you know, like these, these kind of like absolute complete breaks with, with, you know, internal reality. Um, but that's that's a kind of interesting to to look at the American vein of that that came through uh, with, and I guess Jerry Lewis is probably a major part of that to Martin Short to um, the Cabin Boy and other films like that that <clears throat> I imagine kind of like oh, yeah. circulate that same kind of you know kind of like garish because certainly one per- worst person I thought of was uh, was Tom Short and Freddie Got Fingered, um, which Tom is Green. a film I haven't Tom seen Green. in for- or Tom Green, sorry, uh, and a film I haven't seen in forever, but has that a similar sensibility. I guess people might argue over whether whether you know what's good or not. I know Freddie Got Fingered has been reclaimed mm-hmm. to a large degree, but that same idea of a protagonist who is digging so heavily into unpleasantness and annoyingness <laughs> that uh, you know it's kind of like it's a joke unto itself, um, and whether or not you find it you know fun or annoying is up to you, really. Yeah, I mean, like, the yeah. funniest thing to me in The Ladies' Man, like, uh, which I've seen a couple times now in the last uh, couple of years, and uh, on rewatch, like, the funniest thing to me was just watching him dust uh, all of the stuff in the house. Like, it just gets me just, like, snorting every time. Um, and I could very... <laughs> it's just, it's so stupid and great. Like, and you can very easily imagine you... someone just being like, this is so stupid exactly that's why it's fucking brilliant like i i I don't know like i'm just thinking about like um yeah when when he's when he's dusting the the portrait of the woman and and he just like (laughs) smudges her lipstick what the fuck and stuff just breaks there's this great yeah yeah there's this great this great thing that he stretched between because it's kind of interesting to me that that lewis occupies both a a, like physical comedy is very clearly the emphasis but he just has a couple like killer lines and line deliveries as well um and like one that i just thought was like so goddamn stupid it was so funny and who's minding the store is just when he gets like yeah yeah where, where, where he's like um 
because he, he's like he gets some kind comment of course he's working in a store as a salesman he just goes like some like death of a salesman never i'd live on yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. what like what on earth is that but it's just this great line what i was thinking of is in ladies man where that guy comes over for a date and uh he has like the hat thing and he's very intimidating and he's like what's your name he's like I can't remember, like, David C. something. He's like, what's the C for? Killer. And he goes, that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that is, that's just, like, one of the best jokes, like, in movies. <laughs> That whole that whole scene is great too, because I mean, Lewis is literally corpsing in the middle of that. Like he is the other guy is making Lewis laugh, and he sh- Lewis is shot from the back, but you could visibly see him shaking, like he's yeah. trying not to burst out laughing while they're doing this insane slow burn comedy of him trying to put his hat back on and just <laughs> mossing it up more and more. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, where, like, he and maybe that guy, the date is, like, kind of a an audience surrogate for or or it's sort of like in miniature, like the relationship between Jerry Lewis and a lot of his American audience at that point is like him, like sort of being annoying to them and just keeps making it worse and worse. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a great, um, great little scene. I. uh <laughs> I just love like yeah the the extended sequence where he's like this guy is just like oh yeah you you probably know me from uh from Scarface and he's like no that's that you're not him that's <laughs> and it just drags on and on and on and then he's like he's like yeah well, you know you flip the coin of that movie he's like I'll flip a coin and then he you know he fucks up he's like ah see like <laughs> yeah it's One- it's great like one thing that really, like, I really like about the ladies' men, and the ladies' men is certainly, I think, the standout of this this grouping for me, um, is just the, even where it's not trying to be funny, where it's just, like, leaning into, I mean, it kind of opens up with all the girls in the house waking up and getting ready for the day, and it's just this, in, you know, incredible just showcase oh, yeah. of what they've the built in the film. And, and it's a basic, it's, it's, yeah, it's basically a dance number, uh-huh. but all the like it's not traditional dance. All the girls are just like doing rhythmically to the beat, you know, you know, brushing their hair or checking their makeup or whatever. And like one one woman is doing her makeup, and the mirror has been removed, so you can still see her face. It's this very obvious theatrical framing, and it's just it's such a wonderful sequence. It's and it's the kind of thing that you you would worry in a lot of other movies would be you know, wouldn't make the cut because it's not technically comedy, you know, it's not, this isn't technically, there's no jokes. It's kind of like Baby Driver if it were fucking good, essentially, (laughs) you know. (laughs) If if you actually, if there was actually any joy in the, in the spectacle itself and it's in there and then, you know, the jokes happen too. So win-win. I I, I do enjoy too that in Ladies Man, as well as Who's Minding the Store, there's multiple scenes where someone is just feeding Jerry Lewis food while he's trying to talk to them, <laughs> like a baby. Uh, which, out of all of Jerry Lewis's talents, of which he has many, I think like doing a being fed like a baby gag is is his strongest <laughs> strongest suit. Like that's you can't you can't fuck with the guy there. He's he's perfect. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I, I agree. I'm anxious to get to cracking up just because I I'm so excited to talk about it. Oh my god! All right, yeah. let's, this let's one's going to be interesting. Up. Yeah. Okay. So this is is kind of incredible. Like this was made. What was it 83, 85? 83. I don't know. Way way late into his career. Okay. Twenty years um, later. Yeah. 
And at this point, it's kind of wild how just far out of favor he has he has fallen. Okay. Um I, I think his last movie before this was Hardly Working, which mm-hmm. was kind of it, it was it was panned <laughs> to say the least. And I don't think this one cracking up slash smorgasbord was not well received either upon release. It was, it was dropped to cable. <clears throat> they didn't give it a, a theatrical release. There you go. Um, although I think it did get released in France because, of course. Yeah. But it's crazy because, like, this feels plucked out of this this 1960s era oh, of, of yeah. Jerry Lewis. It's it's completely out of place. Because you have to think, like, what was the 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 most profitable uh, comedy film in 1983? Like Porky's Two, you know, like what what d- direction? What was the trajectory of American comedy at this point? And it wasn't fucking Jerry Lewis. And so what we get is this is Jerry Anarchy. Lewis with nothing holding him back. Absolutely, this is the uncut pure shit. And however that hits you, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a lot. So there's there's no love interest. There's no bullshit. It opens with the man trying to kill himself. <laughs> it does, it, it, which is fucking hilarious. And and this is great too because you know previously the Jerry Lewis character was, I mean yeah he was oh uh, you know we we love this like sexless goofball who's also kind of an asshole but whatever. And and now it's like this character there's a there's a real cynicism <laughs> that's oh, yeah. going through this film. And, and part of that is there's nothing around Jerry Lewis to kind of soften this character this, that he's built up over decades and decades and decades. And that's what you get. There's there's the loosest, loosest of plot. It's not even a plot. It's just, boy, Jerry Lewis really wants to fucking kill himself. <laughs> and that's it. And he has basically no budget. Um, and, 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 he's, and it's just strung together like vignettes that, that are loosely related to who he is and the fact Going that he's losing therapy. his fucking mind. Yeah. Going to therapy for being a misfit. Yeah. Yep. That's it. And it's honestly, I, I can't believe how hard I laughed at this shit. Oh like my it God. is so fucking dumb. It was, is so, so funny. I was watching this, uh, in the living room and, and, uh, my, my, uh, my partner was just like, just watching she was doing some work and it's just like get, like watching me just being like what is wrong with you because i was just like crying through part of this just like laughing so <laughs> hard and it was it was like almost non-stop for like the first hour or so where it's just like uh i don't know it just felt so good to laugh that hard this is uh there there's stuff in here that's just like it, it, it's because he's he's sort of like not beholden to any sort of like plot really or i mean it's all artifice the whole thing is artifice and it keeps jumping around in time to these like other characters that like in his lineage that he also plays and it's just like it's all so goofy but jack jack yeah. what did you think of it so yeah th- this is a, a tricky one because i will i will say i like this one the least out of the three we watched um for for me it's and this may just be an exposure thing you know maybe binge watching three jerry lewis movies in a in a row is, oh, is sure. uh, <laughs> maybe going straight to hard <laughs> stuff is is not the best idea um so i was kind of like reminded in watching this of you try, trying to place it in the lineage of comedy at this time because this is like the you know the ridiculous the spoof film as it was you know largely known 
and mentioning this came 83. So this came a year after Police Squad was on television, I believe. I think that aired in 82, uh, which would then, you know, in the late 80s would would transpire into um, whatever, Naked Gun, you know, where they'd rework several of them. Mel Brooks uh, was making, I guess, History of the World Part 1 was the closest analogue to this, but he's also done, like, High Anxiety in the late 70s and Spaceballs on the other end of these um so it, like it fits into the, it, you know it fits in with all of those to me in that it's very much you know it's a it's there's no plot it's really just a film about kind of like uh, delivering as many jokes as possible to the audience as quickly as possible you know an excuse to jump into ridiculous situations just so you can get to the extreme potential of any given prop or joke or or emotion um it is it is really uh like he absolutely leans into everything super hard in this. Um, and it's just sort of like trying to adjust to it. And it's not like I really, I like, I didn't dislike this movie, but it was certainly, it felt at a certain point, it was like, I prefer the new wave that was coming up from this. I feel like I prefer Police Squad. There was more, to me, more cinematic invention with them at that point then you know like i and maybe it's just it is the dislocation that in the 60s jerry lewis looks fresh and new and interesting <laughs> whereas in 1983 jerry lewis who's still looking pretty good for 60 years old and seems like one of his main pastimes at this point was having heart attacks uh, he looks pretty great in this movie i've got to say and he moves around very well yeah um i, I think but, his his, opi his opioid addiction at the time really kept his uh, his skin tight so that was helpful. I see, yeah, yeah, quite likely so. And it's just sort of like the, he seems like an old guard here in a way that kind of maybe makes some of the, the strange things he does, like his whole French accent that accidentally lapses into <laughs> Japanese and he pulls oh himself Oh my God, that, I was fucking is, dying. And, and, then, and then later it's like, he, he does the Japanese, like he's, he's just babbling in French for entirely too long. <laughs> just yeah. nonsense yeah, words exactly and then he slips into japanese and, and then he and then he <laughs> goes back to french but there's another part too where all of a sudden he starts doing a german accent yeah and the like, look what? on his face it's like he kind of surprises himself that he that that, that yeah it happens it, it's, it's so it's so it's so funny it's so unhinged um <clears throat> yeah the, the one well like first of all uh, Jack, like, I, I get what you're saying about like sort of the the stuff going on around him and and at this time, but um, but the thing that those movies don't have is Jerry Lewis and like Jerry Lewis like taking like trying to take off gloves as a sheriff and, and not like being able to do it like the, the the way that he just leans up against the car just like breaks me. But um, I wanted to say quickly before I forget when when I was talking about how there's one scene where he lets somebody else like be the gag. It is uh, quite a gag. Uh, it's when he's on the airplane, <laughs> the extremely Econo airplane, that uh, the pilot <laughs> is like shit-faced and is a very good actor uh, at being drunk, goes down into like the, uh, uh, I forgot what, the economy. Oh yeah, he goes into the economy <laughs> section, which is like Spartacus is the like rowing slave. like yeah. slaves. <laughs> it's just like holy shit. Uh that's that's quite a gag. <laughs> yeah, it's it's peculiar and again part of this is also weighing the old school versus the new school of kind of around the 80s you had a lot of like the the new comedy particularly in britain and i guess it was you know there, there was a lot of new voices emerged in the u.s as well and there was kind of more of an ongoing negotiation about 
who, you know, what was comedy for and who was it, you know, the subversive elements of comedy, who were we supposed to pick on? And it's, I, you know, I, I think Lewis is very old school in his approach. And I don't want to be like, you know, the, the police, the, you know, the, the woke comedy critic. Because I, I really, I think there's a lot of really funny stuff in here. But there is this kind of like dislocation again that like in the 60s movies in, you know, Frank Tashlin's universe, there is nothing funnier than a fat woman. Like, well, that's yeah, the sure. most ridiculous yeah. thing in the world is, you know, a woman you don't want to fuck. Right. And that's like hilarious. And it's kind of still there in this mm-hmm. 80s variant. And it's it's kind of like peculiar. And it, fe- it just feels so ancient to me now, even though I, you know, like grew up on this stuff. Like it was in my lifetime, like this 80s comedy was very, you know, absolutely the, the touch point for me. It just feels so incredibly old now in a way that like and it's not like i'm like worried about being berated by the woke mob or anything it just feels just like another world ago it just just doesn't it doesn't hit in the same way and i I have a similar issue with mel brooks's work at this time too and i love mel brooks like mel brooks is fantastic but there's just there, there is these kind of like transitional elements but i think it is interesting and it may my it may soften for me in the idea that like as you guys point out jerry lewis is doing this seemingly in a vacuum yeah. just because he can yeah I, I i agree with like the um the couple of jokes that are like the punchline is like the guy being fat um and then there's also milton burrell playing uh a woman which is i mean that that gag is still funny because i mean you kind of see it coming but like there's there's a, 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 a <laughs> formal play with it but it's funny what uh in the big uh like this like long interview thing that i listened to him uh on before this <clears throat> podcast um he said billy wilder asked him to be in some like a hot and he said no because he doesn't do drag and he goes <laughs> he goes uh uh it was, it was a it was a it was a bad idea like he goes i don't do drag or you know he's like it's okay if it's like there for like one scene but like it was just too long a whole movie about drag and he's like it was a horrible decision great movie <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true because he does drag in the the ladies man because he plays his own mother but yeah. just for one yeah. scene and and later mm. for the photograph that he of of himself that he's like incredibly unattractive i heard recently and i didn't know know this before that some like it hot was was actually shot in black and white because jack lemon just in color he, he just didn't work in drag <laughs> so they just convert. i don't know if that's true but it sounds like it, entirely possible but uh yeah i mean did jack lemon like i think won an oscar for that or certainly the film won oscars and i guess yeah if you pass over on that that that, that could stick in your crawl a little bit that was probably a mistake yeah now i i think like my biggest takeaway from this is after watching smorgasbord slash cracking up I feel like for the first time in my life, I understand my father's sense of humor, (laughs) (laughs) which again, kind of lends itself to like, there's, there's some boomer comedy elements here, but I mean, I've just, after watching Who's Money is Sore and, and Ladies Man, all I wanted was to some, was for someone to take the leash off of Jerry Lewis so I could see what that looks like. And this is exactly that. Um, But you know, to, to your point, as well, Jack, like if, if the ladies man is like a, a, a nice cold beer, uh, cracking up is basically like drinking a gallon of gasoline with one well, chug. It's just, it's a lot to take on. Well, yeah. <laughs> but and, Hey, and, maybe you'll see some trippy shit. And it's funny because like, 
Yeah, you know, a lot of people uh, who would like this movie call it like the film of a free man, uh, and it's also like the film sure. of a broken man, <laughs> which is oh, completely. Sense, but like because like you know, one of the best images in the in the movie is uh, <clears throat> when he you know he goes back to to trying to commit suicide at the end of the movie, and um, he tries to do it via car, and then he loses the car while he takes out the gasoline, and he's like, well, you know, at least I can you know, use the gasoline to light myself on fire and dumps the gasoline on himself and doesn't have a match. And it's just like watching this guy just walk around with, with a gallon of gasoline all over him. It's just like, it's, it, it is that good mix that like sort of Chaplin-esque mix of like, just like sad and also funny and like miserable. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I was going to say, as we were talking about sort of the persona of Jerry Lewis, um, I, it, it's interesting. The last one I watched before uh, this was uh, Nutty Professor, which uh, I mean, we're trying to keep these episodes like and not so much of a lift or else Nutty Professor would have been a good one for this discussion because um, <clears throat> it taps into like this bifurcated persona um, of the guy who it, it, it allows Jerry Lewis to get out of this like sexless uh, geek uh, character into like trying to be like this or he is like this very like sought after sexually like uh, sexual being who can like sing and, and it, it's sort of like him being able to be Dean Lewis or Dean Martin um, and uh, it's, it's it's also a very good movie but um, so uh, I would recommend that but also like the bellboy is first movie it's cool uh, I can't remember if um the uh the the Aaron boys in black and white i think it is but um uh, it's cool to see what he does right off the bat in black and white um just just the way that a lot of his gags work um in that mode is is really cool um and i still have plenty to check out but but you guys should should uh keep discovering those. i will definitely keep going this the, yeah. i mean this has been uh, I, don't, I don't know why like as a film fan jerry lewis is always kind of moving around like and I'm really, i think the only movie i've seen him in that i can think of is the king of comedy prior to this oh, where yeah. you know i didn't know who he was or i just knew he was like you know he's like when johnny carson or someone shows up i was like that's someone americans know about but you know it works within the movie i don't need to know anything else you know when wolf blitzer shows up as a as a news anchor in a tv movie it's like oh, i know him he's an american tv person but um yeah it's it's, it's finally good to just you know dig into the actual his own work and Certainly, like even I say, cracking up. It's definitely a movie I'll come back to. I I'm curious why it's why they changed the name to Cracking Up because it's really weird. Because then within the movie, in the final sequence, they literally come out of the movie playing in theater, and it's still called Smorgasbord yeah. on <laughs> the movie hoarding. It's very, very strange. Clear. Yeah, that's odd. Sean, I got a question for you. So, you know, if someone is is just starting off, they're like, okay, I want to I want to get this some Jerry Lewis. I uh, you know I want to take the Lewis pill. What's what's your Jerry Lewis starter pack? Where where should people begin? Uh, I I think the those two Tashlin uh, Lewis and Martin movies are are really where I would start. Like because like the artists and models in Hollywood or bust are both fantastic movies and they're great fifties Hollywood movies. Um, and, and that sort of like introduces you to Lewis uh, before jumping into sort of like this like whole like the ladies man is is like really something it's quite a feat um and it kind of like sets you up with like this persona before that and and 
Um, but yeah, so I would say those two movies, and then you know you can just do Ladies Man, Bellboy, uh, Nelly Professor, and you'll have a great time. All right, sounds good. Well, we should probably wrap things up. So, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Well, I really haven't been watching many movies of recent uh, other than the Jerry Lewis movie, so I'm just going to put over Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Uh, I haven't watched it. I don't think I ever will. Everyone, people who have seen it swear it doesn't exist, so it's probably going to win some Oscars. So I'd say, you know, check it out and just see if it, you like, shoot me a line. Like, is this a real movie? Is it mm. actually happening? I don't know. I think it's Seems just unlikely. a ploy to get people over the age of 60 to like sit in a movie theater at 2 p.m. on a Thursday <laughs> could, could be it looks it looks real promising to me so you know let, let me know is is it real give me give me the the lowdown on Belfast everyone that sounds good man uh Sean what are you putting over this week um I'm gonna I've, I've been watching a lot of good stuff thankfully um and <clears throat> probably the best thing I watched this this month so far has been uh, Peter Chan's Comrades Almost a Love Story, um, which is a, a Hong Kong movie from 1996 uh, with Maggie Chung. And um, it, uh, it it's a romance movie about like two uh, people or one person coming over from mainland China and meeting this other person. Um, and, uh, kind of falling in love eventually, but like just sort of, uh, falling in and out of love or the inaccessibility of love in, in Hong Kong at that, that point for these two people. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's got that, uh, urban Hong Kong nineties feel to it. Uh, and, and the romance, like a lot of elements that I was familiar with before seeing this movie. And it's still just like blew me away. It's, it's, it's quite a, a good movie. Um, so yeah, comrades, almost a love story. All right. Well, first off, I'd like to put over shushing Sean Glynis in a movie theater, whether he's talking or not. Um, I, I think he deserves all your ire. So, uh, make sure if you, if you do see him out in public, uh, have a, have some some strong words for him ready. Outside of that, I'm going to be putting over Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself, the authorized biography of Rudy Ray Moore, which just landed in my mailbox yesterday and uh, started reading it. And it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible, especially, you know, whether whether you're a Rudy Ray Moore fan or just have a, a general interest in, in who he was. Um, he was a stand-up comedian and entertainer uh, a lot of hit a albums like uh let's come together and eat out more often <laughs> you know uh classy classy guy and <laughs> wouldn't be any entendres there would there <laughs> <laughs> well and it's you should look at the album covers too <laughs> pretty good i've seen some of the movies and it's already like i didn't think this was legal then or now yeah yeah <laughs> so he he's mostly known these days for the character he created dolomite uh who is like a uh wise cracking uh like pimp kung fu drug dealer and yeah i mean dolomite human tornado disco godfather all fantastic uh, he also made a movie called Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, uh, wherein a woman, we, we get to see Rudy Ray Moore born, and a, a woman, like, squeezes a, a literal, like, eight-year-old child out of her vagina. So, a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he was kind of an interesting guy. He was like, 
he spent most of his life, and even after making Dolomite, he was just kind of this, like, fuck-up that refused to lose, you know? And eventually he kind of broke through and, and gained cult status. So he's he's an interesting my, guy. <laughs> my, my recommendation when it comes to Rudy Moore is I was watching, I can't remember if it was the first or second Dolomite movie, but I, I was I was just watching it one day and uh, Holly just looked over me and she just said, this is making me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just based on the sheer amount of white people using the N-word consistently throughout the movie. And of course, we're safe in the knowledge they would all end up eating their words among many other things but just yeah real crazy stuff oh. you couldn't make it nowadays steve <laughs> i no, no but I, I mean maybe you could because really rudy ray moore king of body positivity uh not only is there are there endless fully nude women in his movies but he's not a man who's afraid to take his clothes off and he is a he's a full-figured guy so you know it's <laughs> thank god we had rudy ray moore to to make it to you know let us know that we can love ourselves. It's important. <laughs> so with that, uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is, is where you can send those. Or you can tweet us at optimismvaccine. We would love to hear from you. And of course, there's a link in this podcast that'll take you to our Patreon page where you can you can give us money. And that would be awesome because, you know, uh, if you send us any amount of money, I'm going to send you a uh, a movie from my personal collection could be a dvd blu-ray vhs tape you don't know what you're getting but you're getting something and uh, i've sent out plenty of weird shit already so um yeah uh other than that yeah you could you could donate at a higher level and you could even tell us what to watch you want more jerry lewis you want jerry lewis part two give us like 25 dollars. we'll do fucking jerry lewis part two you want to make jack's wife watch dolomite movies I mean, maybe that'll cost a little bit more than 25 I don't know what her price is at. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, that one, that's, uh, you know, who knows? Some, she likes, she could knit through them, mm-hmm. so it could work out pretty okay. Yeah, they're, I mean, as far as comedic black exploitation films from the 1970s go, I think they're the most knittable, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has been said, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so give us money, that'd be cool. And you know what? Uh, Jake's not here, so uh, Jack, do you want the last word today? Uh, I was going to take it. Uh, you know I am bad at that. I'll yeah, take, no, Sean can have the last Sean word. Sean can have the last word. Go ahead, Sean. Sean. <laughs>